0: We would ask God to help us to live beyond our own little world, beyond our own small agenda. That that God, ask God to use us in ways that would glorify His name beyond ourselves, beyond our own abilities, beyond our own talents, beyond our own sufficiencies. If we would ask God, we would bring our bucket and, and ask God to make every one of us in this room an agent of His radiant love. An agent of his sacrificial kingdom love. Bring God a bucket and he'll probably fill it. So the question for us in this message this morning is this. What are you? Not the person seated next to you, in front of you, behind you. What are you bringing to God in prayer? Are you bringing him a thimble? Or are you bringing him a bucket? My encouragement for you this morning is go for the bucket. Now, I recognize in in preaching this message this morning, there is uh, an inherent danger in me preaching it and you hearing it and assimilating it that you think that somehow I've given way to the idea that that I believe in a health and prosperity gospel, that, that we are to believe God for for Mercedes-Benz and Rolls Royces and large homes and, and all the creature comforts, that that's what we are to believe God for. If that's what you think I'm saying, that is not what I'm saying. I believe that for the Christian, that we are called at times, maybe for some of us longer times than for others, we are called... To hardship. We are called to take up our cross and to follow Christ. We are, to, are called to identify with Christ in His sufferings, that there are times when we need to be humbled. And, and the Word of God is very clear in that: is that if we are willing to surrender and to be humbled for the Lord's sake, that He will exalt us. So I'm not preaching a health and wealth gospel this morning. But what I am challenging us with this morning is this that I feel that far too many times that I, and many like me, bring to God in our prayer, we bring our thimble rather than bringing our bucket. Jesus said this, these are His words, Matthew 21 and 22, If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now that is a fairly astonishing claim in my estimation that if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. James writes something similar to that in his epistle, James 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, and who among us doesn't need a little more wisdom today? If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, he should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when she or he asks, She must believe and not doubt because he he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. In fact, as you look at the New Testament, I think what you will find if you look at it objectively is that the New Testament is full of stories of people who are what I call bucket carrying disciples. They're bucket-carrying followers of Jesus. Take, for instance, the Roman centurion who comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant. What does Jesus reply? He says, all right, I'll come to your house and do it. And the centurion says, no, no, you, you didn't understand my request. You don't have to come to my house. I know, as a Roman centurion, I know how the the lines of authority work. So, Jesus, all I'm asking you to do is to say the word. And if you say the word, Jesus, I know that my servant will be healed. The text tells us that Jesus marvels. I think that's the word that the text, the scripture text uses, that Jesus marvels at this man's faith. In fact, he goes even further in explaining his his marvelous astonishment over this Roman centurion's faith. And in Matthew 8, verses 10 and 13, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, he says to the centurion, go, and it will be done to you just as you believed it would. That to me is a case study, an example of someone who had bucket-sized faith. Another example, one day outside the city of Jericho, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, he starts screaming and he screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd is somewhat embarrassed and they try to shut Bartimaeus up, but he will not be silenced. Because his faith is so strong. And Jesus asks blind Bartimaeus, What is it that you want? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I want to behold this beautiful world. And Jesus says to Bartimaeus, Go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, it is as Bartimaeus believed that he received his sight, that the scales dropped from his eyes, and he was able to see with 20-20 vision, he had, again, what I think is bucket-sized faith. In the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, there is a huge crowd of people surrounding Jesus. They're pressing in all around Jesus. They all want to get a glimpse of Him. They all want to be able to touch Him. And in that that event in Scripture, we, we are told about a woman who's in that crowd. And that woman, it gives us a little bit of her health history, that this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Think about what that might do to your faith if you'd been ill and had been bleeding for 12 years. The text says that this woman suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and that she had exhausted her resources, that she'd spent all that she had, and she had no options left. She was out of options and choices. The idea here, as you read the text, is that this woman had gone through 12 years of frustrating experiences. And the woman thought to herself, I don't even need to touch Jesus. If I, the woman said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch the cuff on his pants, I'm sure I would be all right. And she did. And when she touched his cuff, Jesus said a remarkable thing. Do you remember what Jesus said? Who Who touched me? He, he felt uh, supernatural power draining out of him at that moment. Who touched me? And do you remember the, the disciples' reactions? You've got to be joking. What do you mean, who touched you? There are dozens of people pressing in on you from all sides. But Jesus knows that there was a touch of faith. And the woman kneels before him. And she is trembling from nervousness and excitement. It's a very moving scene. Go back and and read it. And and, and look at what Jesus says to this woman with the issue of blood. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 34, He says, Daughter, notice He calls her daughter. It's an interesting uh, name that He gives her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. Now, I could, I could lay out other examples and case studies for you this morning, but I, I think you get the point that the New Testament is is full of stories of people who bring their buckets to Jesus. And they say, Lord, I, I believe that you can do it. I, I need your touch. I need your help. I need your... Mercy, I need your grace. And they bring their bucket. They bring it with an unbelievable faith. And Jesus says to these who come with their buckets, ready to receive, what does he say over and over again? He says, go. He says, go with faith like that. You've got what you wanted. Now maybe you hear these kind of stories from the New Testament and you get all pumped up and you say, oh boy, I'm ready. I not only have one bucket, but I've got two. And I'm asking God to fill both. And you get activated and you're ready to go out of here this morning. You're inspired by this idea and you think about times in your own life, in your own journey with Christ, where you have personally experienced that kind of thing in your own journey. Stories like that about yourself or about other people. But I also recognize fully that there are some people here this morning that have never had that kind of experience. I'm wondering, is there anybody in this room that has, and don't raise your hands, but answer in your heart. Is there anybody in this room who has ever prayed and it seems like you didn't get an answer? Have you ever prayed, but secretly inside you felt like you didn't think it was going to happen? You kind of gave lip service to it and said, God, I believe you can do it. But, but in your heart of hearts, if you were honest and real, you would say, I really, don't, I really don't believe God's going to answer this prayer. Is there anybody in this room that has ever gotten discouraged in their praying and, and have, because of discouragement have finally decided to just give up? Praying about something. Anybody who's ever seen uh, seem to be so overwhelmed or so full of doubts, the truth is that secretly that you don't even pray at all. You've given up the idea of prayer altogether because you don't believe that God really hears. It's it's kind of a feel-good measure for you to kind of talk to God, but but God doesn't really hear and God doesn't really answer. I'm sure there must be some people who would say, Rick, I've done that. I've checked out. I've stopped praying. I've stopped believing God. I've, 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 I've stopped even bringing my, even my thimble to God. Well, if that's your case this morning, then there's a guy in the New Testament that you need to meet. If you're not at this extreme level of faith yet, you, you need to hear what I'm about to say. And what I want us to look at in the, the time that remains to us is the question that will come to the minds of thoughtful people, honest people, who, as they read the Bible, will ask themselves, well, Rick, how much faith does it take? How much faith does it take for my prayers to be answered? What does God require in the belief and faith department? What is the minimal level of In other words, what is the minimal level of certainty that I can have and still have my prayers be effective? So to do that, I want to look at uh, an event in the ministry and life of Jesus in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 31. I want to encourage you to take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 31. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to give you a, a synopsis of it so that you can get the sense of what's going on. But it would be helpful if you had your Bible open to read it yourself. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 31. The story tells us here that that there was a man who had a son. And like any father for his son, he had dreams for his son. And he wanted to raise his son to honor God, his son son to love the Torah and and probably to work alongside his father so that the father could teach his son what he knew. But this man was realistic enough to know that his son was not going to be able to do that. Because as we read this event in Mark chapter 9, we discover that for some reason, for some reason that we don't understand, his son was the victim of, of a kind of suffering that we, most of us, I think, can only imagine. This son is tormented by an evil spirit. And there's a physical dimension to this evil that grips this son's soul. Uh, The scripture tells us that this son would be thrown into convulsions, that he would foam at the mouth, that his body would go rigid, that That he would actually, because of this demonic spirit that was controlling him, he would actually throw himself into the fire or into water such that his own life was at risk. That's the physical dimension of this, but there's also a spiritual dimension as well. The the father would watch, stunned as his son uh, was mocked and feared by all the neighborhood kids. His son never had a friend. They avoided him. The condition that this boy had robbed him of his ability of speech. He could not talk. The father had never heard his son once say, Daddy, I love you. I'm glad you're my father. The man realized that his son probably would never marry, would never have children, would never have a circle of friends, probably would never have a vocation in which he could work. His life was at risk at every moment. And this father told Jesus that this had been going on from the time his son was a little lad. The implication, of course, is that now the son has grown into young adulthood I have to believe as I put myself in this story, and I hope you will, that as I put myself into this story, that this man is a father who had tried prayer. I have to believe that that there were nights, night after night, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, when that father went to sleep at night. And sleep would not come to him, and he would weep. And he would actually cry out to God and shout, It's My Son! It's My Son! Don't you know what He's going through? Don't you see? Don't you care? Don't you hear? I have to believe that that father, like any good father would do, was just torn in two in His Spirit about His Son. Every morning, He would go to His Son's sleeping place to see if his son was healed and that his prayer had been heard. And every morning he would go. And nothing changed. It was static. Status quo. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I have to believe that over time, that the fervency of that father's prayers began to dwindle. It's my son. Don't you care? Don't you give a hoot? God, it's my flesh and blood. And every time a new rabbi would come to town... Every time that there would be a prophet who would would enter into the village, the father would take his son. They didn't have an answer. Nothing. And then one day, the father hears about Jesus from a little town in the north called Nazareth. And he thinks to himself, well, it's worth a shot. I've tried everything else. And according to Mark chapter 6, Jesus had already sent his disciples out in the name of Jesus. And they'd been healing and they'd been casting out demons. And so this man, one more time, just one last time, allows himself to get his hopes built up. And when you get your hopes up and get nothing, believe me, when you get your hopes built up and you get nothing, if you've been there, you know that it hurts. It brings a despondency in your soul. But this father thinks, I'm going to bring my son to this Rabbi Jesus. So he takes his son to Jesus' disciples first. The disciples are really confident. They, They are newly enlisted in this healing business. They've been casting out demons and they've been having success. They've done this a number of times before, they tell the father, and they know how it works. They've got the technique down. And they place their the disciples, they place their hands on the boy's head. And they say the words that have worked before. That have worked for them dozens of times previously. Jesus has sent them out. This time, when they put their hands on the boy's head and say the magic formula, what happens? Absolutely nothing. Nothing changes. This boy is as wretched as ever, and the disciples don't understand. Wait a minute, they go back in their mind. What did not we do right? Did we place our right hand above our left? Did Did we mix up the words, the incantation? What didn't go right? Before when we did this, demons were cast out and people were healed. How come it didn't work this time? And the disciples, uh, Mark tells us, the disciples get into a big argument. It's a big set to and they get into a set to not only with each other, but with some of the religious leaders that that are there who uh, supposedly are more spiritual. And they had this argument about whose rabbi is the best and whose rabbi is the biggest. It's kind of like my daddy can beat out your daddy. My daddy is stronger than your daddy. That's kind of the argument that the disciples are having here. And these are Jesus disciples. And if they fail, they're thinking, why should this man bother to bring his son to Jesus? So Jesus comes along in Mark's account of this narrative, and he asks about the son's condition, and the father pours out his heart to God, to Jesus. And then he makes this prayer. Here's the nub of what I want to say to you this morning. He makes this prayer to Jesus, and he says, if you can. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can. Now, I don't know how you feel about that prayer. But in my estimation, that's not a very strong prayer. (laughs) Jesus, if you can, have mercy on us. If you can do anything, If you can. That's not a compliment to Jesus. That's not the kind of prayer that's going to get people to uh, turn out to a prayer conference to learn how to be an effective prayer warrior. That's not the kind of prayer that's going to be turned into a song so that everybody's singing that and inspired in their faith. You'll never go to a church service where somebody will stand up in on the platform and start the prayer, Heavenly Father, if you can. But that's the man's prayer. If if you can do anything, have mercy on us. And the disciples are wondering to themselves, well, what's Jesus going to do with this one? And Jesus immediately picks up on the if you can, and he then says some staggering words. Words that this man and you and I can hardly dare to believe or even get the fingers of our mind wrapped around. He says to this man, everything is possible. Everything is possible. And then he adds on a clause that breaks the man's heart all over again. Everything is possible. What's the end of Jesus' statement? Read it. To him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. You see, to me, that, that's the rub. That's the sticking point. That's the, the bone in the throat of my faith. For this man, that's not good news. It's horrible news. Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. And the man thinks to himself, I I can't believe. I've, I've gone past the point of being able to believe anymore. And I like how Mark puts it. He says that the man responds immediately, immediately. Because it's so close to the surface of this man's soul, it just comes pouring out of him. There's no self control. He just kind of blurts it out. And he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, the man says, but I doubt. I want, but I'm afraid. You see, the man's faith is is wavering at that point. It, it, it's this commingling together of faith and doubt. His faith is mushy. His his faith is not rock solid. His faith is shh, flimsy. And now it gets real quiet in the scene. And by this time, I expect that the disciples are 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 stopping their arguments and they're they're saying to themselves we've never seen jesus do this thing before this this is a new approach so what's jesus going to do for this fair faith impaired father and then jesus walks to the man's son he rebukes the demons he heals the boy he takes him by the hand he lifts him to his feet and he restores him to his father and the boy can speak for the first time in his life his vocal cords come together and they make a sound and he forms words and he can turn to his dad and say to his dad dad I love you thank you for being with me throughout these hellacious years that you've never quit taking care of me you've been faithful to me I'm so glad you're my father it's the first time that these words have been ever spoken by this boy And the father and the boy know in their hearts that he will be well. That he will love God and he will live. So the question comes back to us, so if this is the case, how much faith is enough? If you can. Not much certainty. Kind of a simple thing, really. How much faith is enough? You need just enough faith to be able to come and ask Jesus. Just enough to come and ask. You see, I think that we've got it all wrong. I think that we think that we have to conjure up faith. I think that we think that we're the ones who have to conjure up this this sense of certainty. It's not my job, and it's not yours either, to try to increase your faith. It is my job. It is your job. Hear me if you don't hear anything else. It's not your job to conjure up faith. It is your job to come to Jesus. Period. Come to Jesus. No more, no less. And as I come to Jesus, and if I really mean it, if I'm fully surrendered, if I really want his will, no matter what that may be, and they say, Jesus, I, I want you to, to be preeminent. I want you to be Lord. I want you to be, to be in this situation. And if you, if you choose to do something miraculous, or if you choose to grant me grace, that will carry me through. You see, we're not always delivered out of our experiences, Christians hear me. Sometimes we are delivered through our experience. It's not my job to increase my faith. It's simply my job to come to Jesus. And James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So what are you asking God for? Where's your bucket? Anne Lamott, a Christian author that I've come to appreciate, says that she mostly has two prayers. Anne Lamott's prayers are these. The first prayer is this. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. And the second prayer is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me. Thank you, thank you. How often does God want to give me help Give me strength. Give me grace. Give me mercy. And I don't ask. How many times do I go through life living with anger or fear or anxiety or joylessness or selfish preoccupation? Because I just don't ask. Lord, give me a new new attitude. Help me to get beyond myself. I just don't bring the bucket. All this father does in Mark chapter 9 is he asks. He's not certain. He says, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I know that some of you are there right now. And you're beating yourself up. And you're saying to yourself, I worry too much. I doubt too much. I waver. I don't have enough faith. You know what? You do have enough faith. And if you have enough, Just come to Jesus and say, if you can do anything, that's enough. That's what the Scripture is teaching us. How much faith is enough? Enough faith is to be authentic with Jesus, just to be real. To strip away the facade, to strip away the mask, to strip away all the big faith stuff. The positive thinking stuff. The, oh, I'm going to be rich stuff. Enough faith to be authentic with Jesus, to be real. For me, one of the most striking moments in this story is when Jesus comes to the man and he says, everything is possible to the one who believes. And the man's response is so very important. I would have been tempted at that moment to fake it and say, yeah, I got enough faith. I believe. I have no doubt Jesus you're the man, you're the best rabbi, I know you can do this. But the man doesn't do that. He strips away the mask and very transparently he says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And here's what's amazing about Jesus. Jesus prefers honesty to great faith. I love that about Jesus. You don't have to be sure. All you have to do is be real. So just come to Him. Don't try to work up enough faith. Don't force yourself to, to try to convince yourself to say, yeah, I've got enough faith. I can make my, myself believe that this is going to, be, to happen. Just, just be real. Forced insincere certainty kills prayer. It kills prayer. But sincerity, authenticity, being real with God breathes life into it. And I say this because there's a lot of people who get goofy ideas about prayer. Some people say the way to get what you want is just name it and claim it. I want that house. I want that car. I want this. I name it and claim it. I've actually heard this one taught. Don't ask God for something twice because He'll know that you didn't really believe Him the first time if you ask Him the second. My encouragement this morning is just be real. Jesus put it like this. When you pray, don't be like the pagans who keep babbling away. Don't let your your prayers deteriorate into some kind of mindless, pious-sounding clichés. Just Come to Jesus, be real, be present, be there, be open. John Ortberg, one of my, my favorite authors these days, talks about how this deterioration into on onth- inauthenticity and mindlessness can even happen at our dinner table prayers, and I've become aware of that in my own life. When you sit in front of this nutritional disaster, a plate full of salt and fat and sugar and grease, fried in oil and covered in butter, and what do we pray? We pray, dear God, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies so that we can better serve You. Is that some kind of joke? Wardberg says, It would take a miracle for that plate of food to be something nourishing that would make us serve him better. Ortberg says, at that moment, God's will would be for you to push back from the table and give the food to the dog. But because dogs matter to God, too, it is better for you to give it to the cat. John Ortberg, write him, not me. So I come to the close. How much faith is enough? Enough to get you to move toward Jesus. And I love this. At the end of the story, there's this little postscript. After Jesus had gone indoors, we're told that his disciples asked him privately. He said, Jesus, what went wrong? Why couldn't we drive out the demons? It had always worked for us. Why couldn't we drive them out? It's so human on their part. They wanted to brief with Jesus because things didn't work out the way that they thought they would. So they talked to Jesus in private and they say, hey, you probably noticed we had a little trouble with the demon stuff today. So would you mind Jesus giving us a few pointers on this? Didn't we yell loud enough? Was our footwork off? What was the problem? What, what technique did we miss out on here, Jesus? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, this is one of those demons that requires, what's the word he uses? Prayer. Like there's some other kind of demon." The ironic thing is that the disciples had no doubts. They had faith. And if faith were nothing more than feeling certain about something, then the disciples were well equipped. They had no doubts that they could cast out the demon. But where did they fail? They failed because they didn't pray. They just tried it in their own strength. They tried to use the technique, the formula. I want you to understand, Jesus is not talking about a technique here. He's not talking about some magic incantation. He's saying, no, this is all about God and His sovereign will. Who was the one person in the story that prayed? It was the Father. And this knock-kneed, despondent Father who had tried everything else came To Jesus, that's all he did. He came to Jesus and he said, If you can, have mercy on me. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. If you can. If you can. He was no giant of faith. He was not a prayer warrior that could get a hold of the horns of the altar, as the old timers say. His prayer will never become a hymn or a praise chorus. But it was enough for Jesus. So how about you? How about you? Would you be willing to persist? Would you be willing to strip away? If you bring God a thimble... He will probably fill it. If you bring God a bucket. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to be real with you today. To strip away all the Christian knees and conjuring up the faith some of us are going through deep valleys and we've been persistent in our prayers and yet lord like the father we don't see any change nothing happens nothing moves everything's stuck lord again we just simply come And we surrender ourselves and our situation and our need and our circumstance. And we just bring it to you. We're not directing your hand. We're not telling you what to do. We're not saying, Lord, if you don't do this, we're not going to follow you any longer. We're just simply saying, Lord, we're coming in surrender. Surrender to your sovereignty today. And we bring our bucket. And we're asking you to fill it. So move in, Lord, close, move in close to where people are today. And help us to realize that our lives are hidden in you, as we saw last week, our our refuge and our strength. And our hope for the future is in the name of Jesus. No one else beside it's in you. We love you and we're committed to follow you all the way, no matter what that may mean to follow you.